good to be reminded about the love of Jesus Christ and that last song that he played was, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. And it definitely is deep. You say, how is it deep? Well, <laughs> he loves you and he loves me. So it's got to be deep. <laughs> and I'm thankful for it. Numbers chapter 12, let's read a few verses of Scripture this morning and hopefully give what the Lord wants to be given this morning. Once you find your place there, would you stand? Numbers chapter 12. And I'm going to read, you follow along with me, and I'm going to read, though, let's see here. I'm going to read till I feel like quitting. How's that? <laughs> Numbers chapter 12, yeah. Numbers chapter 12, uh, verse 1, the Bible says, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. My, my, my. Off to a good start this morning. So Moses, he married him a colored gal, and they're getting all over him for it. And you thought that was just America. No, it's in the Bible. Verse 2, the Bible says, And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all mine house. But Jim Tuttle, would you ask the Lord's help in the preaching this morning? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Maybe seated. As we get into the scriptures this morning, I want to make one more comment about the the music and uh, I'm a musical being and uh, you say well so is the devil I know I'm glad you finally made the connection there but anyway I enjoy good music and I believe the Lord's pleased with the right music and I believe the Lord is more apt to show up in the church house and give us his blessing and presence when we have the right type of music and I believe the the, the more we stick to the old paths and the old hymns, I believe the Lord is very pleased with that. And I, and I wanted to tell you that because it's not just because we like them, because it's the right thing to do. Amen? And the old hymns of the faith are the songs that have the messages that contain the, the, the testimony and the lives of those who have trusted, tried, and true the Lord Jesus Christ. And those, uh, that music is a real blessing to me. And uh, look, I know we're in the last days. I was, we were going through this in Sunday school. And in the last days, Paul refers to the church as the nighttime. And one thing that happens is the nighttime is everybody gets real sleepy, doesn't it? I mean, when it's time, I mean, now the older you get, you start getting sleepy a little sooner, right? When you're younger, you could just, uh, you know, you just kind of stay up all night long. But now you do that and you hit 50 or 60, it takes you three or four days to recover, or at least two or three, or you just never do recover and you're just tired for the next year, you know. But I'm telling you this, in the last days of the church age, we are so close to the Lord coming back and getting us out of here. And I want you to fight the temptation, I want you to fight the urge to get sleepy this morning. You say, uh, I had a long night. Okay, you might get sleepy physically, but could you just fight the temptation to maybe just tune out? That's the spiritual sleep I'm talking about. I want to encourage you this morning to try to keep yourself awake. We're in the last days, no doubt, and in the fourth watch of the night, Matthew chapter 14, is when Jesus Christ comes back. He comes back in the morning and gets us out of here. So I want to just exhort you, challenge you this morning, just Try to keep yourself awake spiritually. Amen. We're here together. I believe the Lord has some things for us. But not only that, I know there's a physical a piece. Uh, most of us are tired. We've been working hard this week. 
And uh, I'll try to stay a little bit animated so you don't fall asleep. But there's no guarantee, amen? Look with me this morning as we go to chapter 12. We've just come out of obviously chapter 11 and Israel have, you know what they've done? They've just moved on. They've got a new direction. Uh, I think it's chapter 11, verse 33. They're now recovering from a very great plague. They parted ways with the mixed multitude, and quite frankly, they have a new direction. They've buried the past, and they're trying to move on. They've left, uh, however you say it, uh, Kibroth Hadava behind, and now they've moved on to Hazareth. And I'm just saying in the Christian life, many times what you and I need to learn to do is put the past behind and just move on. You see what I mean? As a child of God, you have to be careful because as you walk through this Christian life, you're going to see countless individuals get jammed up around you. You're going to see it all around you. You yourself might even get jammed up, but you've got to be careful that when you see others getting jammed up like the mixed multitude did, that you don't get caught up in that mess. Others are going to get jammed up. Others are going to get messed up. And for whatever reason, the inclination of mankind is when other Christians go through trouble, there's a tendency for you to want to tap out. There's a tendency to say, you know what? Uh, I really thought that they were somebody, and look it, uh, they done messed up, so I'm out. You've got to fight that. You've got to fight that temptation. You cannot let someone else's failures be your reason that you tap out on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just saying you have got to learn a simple lesson like, you know what? Bury the past. There's the very great plague in chapter 11, verse 33. Go ahead and grieve, deal with it, get over it, but don't get jammed up with that mess. And I think that's an important lesson to learn. It's an important lesson to learn because it seems the closer we are to get to going home to see the Lord Jesus Christ, we see more people peeling off left and right. You've got now the cancel culture in full swing in America. They've canceled everything. They've canceled their own brain cells for crying out loud. They no longer think they let media do all the thinking for them. Everything, all anyone can do anymore is talk media points. So for that very reason, I don't even listen to the media. My personal opinion doesn't mean anything, but I think that the news media is the biggest terrorist organization in the market. It's worse than uh, any of your terrorist outfits out there. But I digress. You have to learn as a Christian not to get jammed up in other people's messes. You have to learn to bury the past. What did Paul say? Paul said there's one thing that he had gotten figured out in the Christian life. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, he said, forgetting those things which are behind. Okay, so someone got jammed up. You got in a mess back here. Did you fess it up? Yes, sure did, preacher. Then confess it up, get up, and get out of there. Leave the past where it's at and just go on for Jesus Christ. You've got the new direction. Yeah, there might be scars. There might be things that remind you of those days or that crowd or those individuals or that old wound that gets uh, scratched and opened up again, but you've got to learn to just move on in the right direction for Jesus Christ. And in the last days of the church age, Paul says that he had figured out how you need to forget those things which are behind and reach forth unto those things which are before. And very much so, Christian, you have to do that every single day. You literally have to wake up every morning and you have to put the past behind you and go on. Listen, every decision you've made as a Christian has not been stellar. But you don't have to let your past define your future. And I'm not trying to talk positively. I'm trying to talk biblically here. I know what some of these clowns out here in the TBN network and the TCT network and all this, you know, uh, praise you for a million dollars and all that stuff tell you, oh, you can't. But you cannot let your past define your future. You can't do it. You've got to leave the past behind. Paul says, reaching forth unto those things which are ahead. And you know the thing about the church age right now, the body of Christ? I don't see a lot of Christians reaching forth. Is that a fair assessment this morning? You see, I don't see a lot of Christians reaching forth. What did Paul say? He says, I press toward the mark for the prize, for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Not many Christians are pressing. Not many Christians are putting pressure on that which matters most. Not many reaching, not many stretching. I'm just saying this morning, 
you and I have to learn to not get jammed up with the mixed multitude that we preached about last week, but rather we have to learn to take that new direction and keep going on for Jesus Christ. As we move into chapter 12 this morning, you'll notice that it's not the people that have the problem with Moses now. Actually, what you have is you have a good old family brawl going on. You have family problems. Does it sound familiar to anybody this morning? Just me, right? Just the dumb old preacher. I'm telling you what, in the Christian life, it's not always the people. It's not always the brethren, even though the brethren will cause you more trouble than the lost world will. And you have to remember that. And you have to prepare yourself. This Christian life is the most bloodiest battle you will ever face. And yet, in chapter 12, it's not the brethren, it's not the children of Israel that have the problem with Moses. It's Moses' family. But there's a passel of lessons that you and I can learn from this chapter. And I, as I read this chapter, I see how Moses handles this entire situation. And I'm just kind of awestruck. Why? Because I wouldn't handle it that way. I know how I handle things. I'm a preacher. I handle every opposition with an open mouth. And usually when the mouth opens, the feet follow. Amen. But that's unfortunately, I don't glory in my stupidity. I'm just saying I meet most oppositions with an open mouth. And I look and see how Moses handled this whole thing with his family. It's completely different. I want to give you some things this morning, if I might. And as we merge into chapter 12, you have to remember that when you are going through troubles and trials, we often forget, but your true character arises. Look, you and I are here today, and for the most part, you cleaned up, you washed up, you up and all that stuff, and you came in the door, and I'm thankful you did, amen. <laughs> I'm glad you all ain't like Pigpen, you know, that character off Charlie Brown. And you look good, and you smell good, and I shook your hand, and I didn't even think to put uh, hand sanitizer on this morning. I mean, we're that far past COVID, but maybe I should, I don't know. But I'm just saying, when you start going through difficulties and troubles and trials, your true character, where you are at spiritually, comes right to the top. I want you to grasp a hold of that because, you say, why are you saying that? Because you and I can smile and shake hands on a Sunday morning, and I'm glad you came, and I hope you come back, Amen. But when you go home and your mother-in-law gets all in your stinking business, everybody in your house knows who you are. You see what I mean? When we're on top of the world, that's not when our true character shows. And one thing I've learned about storms and trials and tribulations, they're not generated to make me somebody great down the road. Those storms, those trials, and those tribulations are meant to reveal me to myself. And if I'm in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, He's going to let those things come along to strengthen me. He's going to let those things come along so I can see myself as He sees me. All the good, the bad, and the ugly. I want you to notice some things about Moses here. There's some great things in this passage. I want you to see some things about Moses. I want to preach to you. It might seem a little bit mundane, so that's why I appeal to your senses this morning to try not to fall asleep spiritual. But I'd like to preach about the character of Moses. First of all, I want you to notice about Moses. I want you to notice, first of all, that uh, in the midst of accusations that we've just read, it's a mess. I mean, it is an absolute mess in verses 1, 2, and 3. I don't care how you look at it. You've got a racial thing going on. You've got a, a thing about pride. You've got brothers and sisters at each other's throats right now. It, would you agree, family, it's a mess? It's a good old family mess. And in the midst of accusations, in the midst of criticism, and the midst of all this authority questioning, I want you to notice the meekness of Moses. I want you to notice that this morning. Look at verse 3. Chapter 12, verse 3, the Bible says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth. The meekness of Moses. Notice that in the face of criticism, Moses is meek. I don't know, I don't, I don't know anybody, honestly... Uh, who takes criticism with meekness. <laughs> but I read about it. I think, oh, that's pretty nice. You notice he doesn't say anything at all. I don't know who this guy is, what planet he lives on. Because it's been my experience, unfortunately, and probably yours too in many regards, that when you're criticized is when you often get the most verbal. 
You've heard of verbal turbulence. That happens when someone criticizes the way you doing it. And so in the midst of criticism, in the face of all this, we see the meekness of Moses. Verse, uh, in, in the face of criticism, Moses is meek in verse 1. The Bible says they spake against Moses. They're against Moses. And in verse 2 it says, Hath he not also spoken also by us? Now you take that word meek. That just simply means to be mild of temper. <laughs> like not Baptist, amen. Mild of temper, soft, gentle. That word meek means not easily provoked or irritated. Right, moms? <laughs> right, dads? Not easily provoked or irritated. How about this one? The word meek means to be yielding or to be humble. Interesting enough, they criticized his wife and marriage. Now, I suppose you can criticize me, but then if you go after my wife, then there's another gear inside of me that I don't shift into that gear, and usually you have to grind a lot of gears before you find it, right? Gentlemen, you know what I'm talking about? Look, I know I'm an idiot, so just laugh and say amen. But so are you. And you start talking about someone's wife, and you're going to find just how much red blood is in them. And there might be a little bit of gray on the shingles, but there's still a fire in a stack. Amen? But amidst all this criticism and questioning, Moses is very meek. Who is this guy? Who is meek when you go after his wife? I know some of us, we joke and say, well... <laughs> You go after my wife, she'll claw your eyeballs out. I, I get that, but at the fact, if you really were critical about another man's wife, he's going to lay one on you. You're going to have to climb a ladder to scratch the top of that knot, amen? You're going you're to have to do that. But yet amidst criticism, Moses is very meek. In the face of criticism, I see that they, they question his leadership in verse 2. Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? You realize what's happened, right? They've just buried the mixed multitude. That's thousands. It's on, the, it's on the edge of a disaster. You ever notice when things go wrong in the Christian life, then come the criticizers? Where are the criticizers when things are going good? Well, there's no reason to criticize. But when something negative happens or something bad happens, here comes all the people that are critical against you and what you're doing. I want you to see that because they've just had to have thousands of funerals for the mixed multitude. And now Aaron and Miriam, they've got a bug in their ear somewhere, and now they've got a problem with Moses. And they're like, look, it's that, it's that crazy woman you married, and she's the one influenced you to say this and do that. And by the way, you think God's only speaking through you there, big brother? Say, so what does Moses say? He don't say a word. Pretty smart man. You know, I've never gotten in trouble for things I never said. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. But I've always gotten in trouble for things that I have said. You say, what are you saying? Maybe it's just time that some of you and I learn to be a little bit more meek in our Christianity. You really need to say everything you think you know. I bet you Moses knew things about Aaron he could bring right now. I bet you, I bet you Moses had a stack of stuff on his sister he could just pull right to the top. And look here, big mouth. I don't care what, right? And that how I talk to your sister, amen? <laughs> you shouldn't, <laughs> right? Moses didn't say a word. In the midst of criticism, I'm just showing you that Moses is very meek and he's very silent. He's teaching you and I something. He's teaching it, and it's funny because that's not the way you and I react. And when people come at you, that's the first stance you want to assume in your mind mentally, whether or not physically and maybe you're a dove and all that and so forth. It's either this or it's like that, Right? That's what you're thinking. Why? Who are you to criticize me? Who are you to question me? You have no idea what I have to deal with. You don't understand the pressure that I'm under every single day. He didn't say that. What did he say? Nothing. I must have took a lot of grace to not say a word. I'm just trying to point out this morning real simply the meekness of Moses. In the face of criticism, Moses is silent. Moses never even defends himself. I'm not sure what causes the propensity in the Christian life that we need to defend ourselves. I'm pretty good at it. I know you're not, but 
I mean, when someone comes at me, I'm, I'm immediately, I'm, I go into lawyer mode, and I'm not a lawyer. I studied criminal law in college, but I'm like, oh, yeah, buddy, I'm stacking up the defense right here. And this is why I'm doing that, and this is why you're what you are, and this is, you know, and I'm just laying up the defense, and I'm setting up the defense and got a sound defense, and by the time I'm done with it, I'm just blowing my mouth all over the place, and there's no meekness anywhere to be found. You might be like that in some cases especially when it comes to family. There's something about family that it's like we lose our filters. Sometimes when you deal with the brethren, sometimes, you have more of a filter. And you try to step back and you try to maybe see things through their perspective, try to use a little bit of Christian grace. But for whatever reason, and I see this and maybe it's just my own life, kind of bleeding through into the text there. After all, the man often is the message. But many times with family, the filter goes away. But not with Moses. Moses is God's man. He's God's messenger, and he's got God's methods in which he's trying to lead the people of Israel to the promised land. And one thing we're learning about Moses right now at this instant is he's very meek, even when his family's going after him. It's probably like he figured it out, like, my family is not my enemy. Is that fair to say? My family is not my enemy, even though I often make them out to be the big bad wolf. But I show you this morning that Moses was very meek, and in the midst of criticism, he's silent. I want you to consider this morning that when you don't respond to your criticizers, when you don't respond to your criticizers, that it's then when you give the Lord an opportunity to take up for you. Because you see in the passage, the Lord's end up taking up for Moses. Moses doesn't say a word, which I know nothing about, (laughs) and neither do most of you. But when you don't defend yourself, you don't respond, you don't revile back, you see the Lord take right up for his servant Moses. That's something else. In verse 6, you see the Lord, he goes right after it. He says, hear now my words. I read that, and he says, I'm going to tell you guys something right here and right now. You want to get the Lord riled up? You go ahead and talk about his man. You can talk about his son, talk about his daughter. You see that? Right in the passage. Verse 6, hear now my words. Look at verse 7. My servant Moses is not so. He said, y'all a bunch of liars. You see that? And by this point, the whole matter settled. But what, here, he, they woke up the bear because now the Lord's mad. You see what I mean? The Lord is now angry. And something's about to happen that ain't very good. You see what I mean? I'm just saying through all this face of this criticism, the face of this family ordeal, this mess, Moses remained meek. He remained silent something you and I can learn a tremendous amount through. And the Lord took up for Moses. You see, many times in the Christian life, we feel the need to defend ourselves. We wonder why that is. It's almost like we must have a guilty conscience about what we're doing. Like we have to justify. You don't have to justify yourself to anybody. If you're doing what God told you, and after all, if you're here today, I believe you want to be in the will of God. Amen? And I believe most of you believe that you are in the will of God. So what does it matter what somebody thinks about what you're doing or not? You're here to please the Lord, not man. So when someone comes after you because of your family, someone in your family gets after your business, why do you even have to say two or three words to begin with? It's just something to think about this morning because I see the meekness of Moses. I'm not telling you that this is how your pastor handles situation. I'm telling you, I know exactly who I'm preaching to this morning. I'm preaching to me. And Moses is very meek. He's very silent. He refuses to defend himself. I believe a lot of Christianity is spent trying to defend who we think we really are. Well, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 28, He that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. And that a blessing. You say, what does that mean? Well, the less you say, the smarter you look. <laughs> Amen. And one feller said, uh, people might think you're a fool. Just don't speak up and remove all doubt. 
So Moses, it didn't say that Moses didn't want to tommyhawk his sister. It didn't say that Moses didn't want to, you know, power slam his brother. He just didn't say a word. Pretty smart. He was meek. He stayed humble. He stayed yielded. He stayed soft. I believe sometimes why other brothers and sisters in the Lord don't approach us is because they really think we are the ogre that we portray ourselves to be. But what the Lord needs, what the Lord needs is someone who's pliable, someone who's soft. See, that's not very, that's not very American, is it? A man who's soft and gentle. Well, I ain't going to be one of them. We're not talking about effeminate. We're talking about soft and gentle. Can anybody talk to you? You read about a fellow in the Bible named Nabal. The Bible said he was a churlish fellow. He was obstinate. Nobody could say anything. You know people like that, brothers and sisters? We're just family here. You know Christians like that can't tell them nothing. Anything that's known, they already knew it. Why do you have a conversation with them? I don't know. But old Nabal, you couldn't tell him nothing. I know a lot of Christians like that. I've been that Christian on a number of occasions. You couldn't tell me nothing. I already knew it. I'm just saying, the man Moses, he was very meek. The meekness of Moses. We can learn tremendous lessons from that. You know what? Moses was just like Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 11, 29, the Bible says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Ain't that something? Moses is acting like the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if it's because he spent time with him. He spent time with the Lord, didn't he? There's something. And you see in the first 12 chapters of uh, the book of Numbers and, and most of the book of Exodus, you find the Lord and Moses spending a lot of time. That has, to do, that has to be one of the reasons that Moses can be meek. And notice that in the face of all this, Moses responds just like Jesus Christ. If I get you to look at one verse this morning before we go back to the book of Numbers, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. I know you know this verse is here, but it bids us to call this verse to remembrance. In this Christian life, 1 Peter chapter 2, you're going to have family, you're going to have brothers and sisters in Christ come at you, and if I could say it like this, they're going to grab you by the throat spiritually. All right? And they're going to do that. And you're going to want to respond. You're going to feel the need to retaliate. And you know what? I'm going to let you off the hook this morning. You don't have to. You don't know what they said. Praise the Lord. Because then I'd probably be angry at them too. Amen. <laughs> don't tell me. <laughs> right? Well, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to help you out this morning. Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, who, talking about Jesus Christ, when he was reviled, reviled not again. Man, that's a hard one, ain't it? When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Can you imagine Jesus Christ there getting whipped with that big old cat of nine tails and that big old Roman soldier probably had biceps three times the size of mine. He'd rear back and had that stance and had that whip in his hand and he'd like, yeah, let that thing go, and it dug into the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it began to tear uh, chunks of skin, bone, and flesh, and revealed the bones, and revealed the blood vessels, and it was just like a shower splattering of blood. When Jesus Christ suffered an immense pain at that very moment, Jesus Christ didn't look back and go, I'll get you, sucker. He reviled not again. Can you imagine suffering under that immense pain and when someone took that crown of thorns and sat it on his head and then some joker come with it behind with that big reed and whop, slapped him on the head, driving them probably at least inch-long thorns deep into the side that separates the skin between his skull. He didn't look back and said, I'll get you at the second advent. Oh, I know where you're going to be. I'm going to help you get there sooner. He reviled me again. When he suffered, he threatened not. I find many times as a Christian when I've suffered, I feel the need to lash out. I feel the need to try to strengthen myself and lash out at people who I think are causing me hurt. But that's not how Jesus Christ handled it, and that's not how Moses is handled it. Moses was very meek. He responds just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was meek and lowly of heart. He reviled not when they reviled against him. He threatened not when he suffered 
I'm telling you what, there's a parcel of learning from this chapter. The meekness of Moses this morning. So many times in the Christian life, we respond the way we shouldn't because we know absolutely nothing about meekness. You say, what's the remedy? This morning, I believe the remedy for meekness is just spending more time with Jesus Christ. You've heard it said that people that have been married a long time, over time, they begin to look like each other. You ever see them? You go on vacation. I remember going to Pigeon Forge uh, a while back and these couples walking around, same shirt. They're wearing the same shirts. You know, I'm thinking, how goofy is that? I mean, their, their hair almost looks similar, you know. He's going bald, she's starting to lose. I'm like, good grief, they're like the Bopsy twins, and they're married, been married for 685 years. Can I just say, the more time you spend with the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll continually change your image to be like His. You know, because you're chuckling. You see some of them people walking around in Walmart. They look like, you know, look like the twins. But they've been married, you know, 70 years or 30 years or 40 years or however many years. And they just look like, they look alike. Why? They spend enough time with each other. You just kind of conform to each other's image. But the more time you spend with Jesus Christ, you'll be conformed to His image, the Bible says. Well, not only... Not only do I want you to take notice of the meekness of Moses, but secondly this morning I want you to see the faithfulness of Moses in verse 7. Verse 7, the Bible says, My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. You see that? Man, what a thing that God said about his man. This isn't Moses saying about him. This isn't Moses. This is the Lord speaking this about Moses. This is pretty good. I mean, we can take some credence in what's said next because God Himself is saying, Moses is faithful in all my house. Now you notice, He might not have been faithful in Egypt. Right? Moses might not have been faithful in Egypt. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. I need all the help I can get this morning. It was Exodus chapter 2, and he was raised in the riches of Egypt, and history says he was a mighty general, and of course all of a sudden he realized that God wants him to do something, and next thing you know, he kills one of the Egyptians, Right? Kills that sucker, hides him in the sand. You know, he had it coming. You know, civil rights. Killed him. He was beating up on my brother. Beat up on my brother, I'll bury you in the sand too. Isn't that what we say? Wasn't faithful in Egypt's house. And then the more I read about Moses, he wasn't necessarily faithful in his house either. Because when the Lord began to deal with him about being the leader for his people, Israel, he kind of commits half-heartedly. And as he assumes the leadership role, I believe it's, uh, I've got the, the, the passage written down here. It's in Exodus chapter, uh, uh, Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 25. He assumes uh, the leadership role of the nation of Israel. But to assume that leadership role requires him to follow the Old Testament law so far that's in stone. Uh, no pun intended. And that included being circumcised, and he refused to circumcise his boy. And his wife had to circumcise his own son. She goes, thou art a bloody husband. I'm telling you, he might not have been faithful in Egypt. He might not have been faithful in his house, but he sure was faithful in God's house. What I'm about to say, some of you might take the wrong way, so just take it with a grain of salt. Can I get you to consider for a minute that maybe you consider that your house is really more important than God thinks it is. I'm showing you the picture of Moses who is faithful in all of God's household. He wasn't faithful in Egypt where he was raised. He wasn't faithful in his own family's house. Look, we're a work in progress, amen? You ain't there yet. You ain't attained. And he wasn't faithful in Egypt. He wasn't faithful in his house. And I think sometimes as Christians, we just take our family way more serious than God does. Look, you're not going to be Mary Poppins when it comes to your family life. All right? It's going to take a whole lot more and a spoonful of sugar and the rest of that stuff. And then after you've done your best, the thing's still going to look like a soup sandwich. Amen. Somebody say amen. Your children have a free will. No matter what you believe, no matter how you raise them, your children have a free will, your spouse has a free will, and you have a free will. That's a fine mess. I'm telling you, 
He wasn't faithful in his uh, house of Egypt. He wasn't faithful in his own household. But God declared that Moses, his man, was faithful in all his house. What something to be said about a man. That means when it came to what God gave him to do and the leadership role in serving the Lord, he was faithful. He didn't let any of it drop. That's good, isn't it? And here you got Aaron and here you got Moses and they're criticizing the house that Moses is unfaithful in, his own. And the Lord's like, that don't even matter. What matters is what I've called that man to do and is he doing it? Yes, he is, and he's faithful in my house. That's a blessing. We can learn from that this morning. We can learn by the faithfulness of Moses. When it came to the Lord's household and the Lord's business, Moses was faithful. Look at verse 8, Numbers chapter 12, verse 8. The Bible says, With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. In the similitude of the Lord shall he behold... Wherefore, when were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Can I tell you what you already know this morning? That today's Christian is marked by unfaithfulness to God. Here's a little bit of reproof from the world. Today's Christianity is marked by unfaithfulness to God. We in many regards are faithful to the things of this world. We're faithful to the job place. Most of you have a work ethic that is fantastic. I'm not knocking that. Would to God that all people in Osco and Ogemaw County had a work ethic. Amen? amen? Your taxes wouldn't be so stinking high. Somebody say amen right there. But we're often very faithful in, in the world. We're very faithful in physical things. We're very faithful in secular things. And don't you stand between me and my family. Amen? I'm the same way. I'm loyal to my family to a fault. But we're backwards. Because then today's Christianity is marked by unfaithfulness to what? The world? No. To my family? No. To who? The Lord. You follow me this morning? Today's Christianity is marked by unfaithfulness to the Lord. Today's Christianity is marked by unfaithfulness to the Lord's house. Today's Christianity is marked by unfaithfulness to give to the work of the Lord. You realize, if you take your Bible for a second, I want to show you 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. There's only one thing in this Christian life that you and I are required to do. Now hold on. I understand there's plenty of commands in the Bible. Amen? But there's only one requirement using that word. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, if you're able to get there, I want you to see that the requirement in the Christian life is not a perfect family. Thank the Lord, I'd already be out. It's not 30 years on the job, because there ain't no job that would keep me for 30 years. And if you think I'm just saying that, you help yourself. You don't know me very well, and I don't know you either. But it's not success. You see the passage right there? Are you with me? Fight the urge to go to sleep spiritually right now because this is the meat of the message. And if you want it, you're going to have to pull it off the bone. It is required of stewards that a man be found. That's it. The only requirement in the Christian life is faithfulness. That's faithfulness to God and what God wants you to do and what God would have you to do how God would have you to live. It has nothing to do with success. It has nothing to do with the size of your house. It has nothing to do with the size of your income. It has nothing to do whether or not you feel your family's cohesive and getting along and all in love with each other because you know that ain't never going to happen. Your requirement is to be faithful. And in the passage, I see the meekness of Moses. And lo and behold, chat verse 7, I see the faithfulness of Moses. And that's not Moses saying that about himself. What is Proverbs chapter, was it 20, verse 26? Most men will proclaim their own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. A faithful man who can find. Say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm just saying, in the face of criticism, in the face of trials, in the face of troubles, in the face of tribulation and heartache and suffering, Moses remained meek and Moses remained faithful. He didn't go off the rails. When the family unit began to break down and they started devouring one another, he didn't go, well, it's a good time any to take a break and get out of here. 
This is a good time as any to get the old, well, you know, it's been a long time since I've been the old watering hole. You know, it is Thursday, Thursday. I think I'll head out over there. What did Moses do? He stood still and he shut his mouth. And the Lord took up for him. And the Lord declared, what you're saying don't matter. And by the way, what you say about my servant is not so. He is faithful in all mine house. Showing you and showing me that the only thing that matters is being faithful to God is all that matters in the Christian life. You say, well, I, I have priorities. I'm sure you do, and I'm not knocking your priorities. And I love my family. Don't get the wrong idea. But if God is not first, your family will always be last. No matter how much you try to put your family first, if God is not first, they'll always get the raw end of the deal. God has to come first. Faithfulness to God has to come first. Today's Christian is marked by unfaithfulness. But yet in the face of criticism, in the midst of a family crisis, in the midst of a meltdown, how'd you like to be there for that conversation? Your brother and sister have a problem with your colored wife. I'm being real. That's what the problem was. That Jew is extremely racial. He thought he was superior. He thought he was better than everybody else. And if things were going cattywampus or they're going south or going bad, they're like, it's that woman. You should have kicked her to the curb a long time, Mo. But in the face of all that family meltdown, have you ever had family meltdown before? It ain't no fun, is it? We've been chuckling a little bit because that always helps the reality. But you know when families melt down, it's a very, very difficult thing. And it's all you can do sometimes to keep your composure. But take cheer. We see through Scripture that Moses remained meek. He remained silent as Jesus Christ did. And he remained faithful to it. I'll give you one more thing. Can I tell you about Hudson Taylor real quick here? It was said that in a stormy night in Birmingham, England, Hudson Taylor was to speak at a meeting at the Severn Schoolroom. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. A great man of God. It was a very stormy night, and he insisted on going. It gets stormy in northern Michigan. Some people won't come. That's fine. They don't think they can come. I don't want them to jeopardize their health. Amen. They don't think they can handle it. Don't come. Matter of fact, if it's bad my way, I usually cancel for you. Why? I don't want you hurt. I love you. I don't hate you. you trust me, you don't need to, uh, I don't need your credibility. Does that make sense? I don't need, my ego doesn't need to be satisfied just so we can have church. I know I'm a pastor. I know I'm a preacher. I can't shut up half the time. Amen. But you know what? Hudson Taylor insisted on going to that meeting. He said, I must go even if there's no one but the doorkeeper. So the meeting time came. Less than a dozen people showed up at that meeting. But as history writes and history declares, there was an unusual spiritual power on the meeting. And six people were called to the mission field. And another five gave their children as missionaries. You say, why? Because of the faithfulness of one Hudson Taylor in the midst of the meltdown, in the midst of criticism, in the midst of catastrophe, remain faithful, Christian. You never know the outcome. Listen, just a few more days and we're out of here. I mean it. Just a few more days to labor. Stay faithful. You're here this morning and I commend you. you got to stay faithful. You don't know what they're saying about my... I understand. Just stay faithful. The Lord will take up for you. Stick with it. Stay with it. Don't quit. Look, just because there's only the doorkeeper and a dozen, the Lord's going to do something with those few that come. We see Moses' meekness. We see his faithfulness. I think of Moses, the faithful man of God. Paul said that in Timothy that God had counted him faithful, putting him into the ministry. And you know, Jesus Christ was faithful unto death. 
Finally this morning I see the meekness of Moses, the faithfulness of Moses, and lastly, the intercession of Moses, or could I say it like this, his mercifulness. Look at verse 13. The only time in the passage is recorded Moses even opening his mouth. I read that three or four or five times before I realized, huh, that's the only time he ever said nothing, something in the passage. Look at verse 13. Notice what he says. Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. You know what some of y'all have been praying? If that was your sister coming after you, Oh God, kill her. <laughs> That's what some of y'all be praying. Oh God, sew her lips shut. And then she'd go, she'd go home, she'd get COVID. I knew that was going to happen. She kept running her mouth like that. And the only thing that comes out of Moses' mouth is, Oh God, heal her. Who is this guy Moses? Not just, Oh God, heal her, like, Oh, God, healer. <laughs> He's like, oh, God, healer, I beseech thee. I'm begging you. Heal my sister. You see the mercifulness, the intercession? I don't know if you can see it or not. I've been in this pasture for a couple days. And the longer I stay in here and see the mercifulness that Moses shows towards his own family, when he's pretty justifiable to throttle him, that gets a hold of my heart, and I, you know what? I'm not merciful like I should be. Notice the mercifulness of Moses. Moses' response, the only response that Moses had this entire chapter is mercy. And he intercedes for the one, look at it now. He intercedes for the one who caused him pain, who caused him suffering, and caused him heartache. You know it was him, you know it was her. Because the passage, Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, leads with her name. And then you find out later that Miriam is the one full of leprosy. She was the one running her mouth from the beginning. Aaron was just going along with it like the goofball he was. Amen. So he's now interceding, being merciful to the one who's caused him all this pain. He could have stepped back and said, uh, get her, Lord. Couldn't he? Isn't that what we do? We see someone who's caused us hurt and pain, and now they're getting it. Do we go, heal them, Lord? Heal them, O Lord, I beseech thee. Or do we go like this? You know, fair bed, they made it. They're going to have to lay in it. I want you to see the mercifulness of Moses. I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that if Moses wouldn't have interceded for Miriam, she would have died a leper. I believe it. She instantly became a leper. Leprosy, of course, in the Bible is a picture of sin. And you've got Moses, which is a type and picture of Jesus Christ, interceding for the sinner. And she prays for that sinner. And she gets, she gets healed of that thing. The Bible says in James 5.16, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I don't know, you might not realize it, but if you... Go over to Job chapter 42, I believe it's around verse 6. You remember Job and all the trouble that he went through and Job's three Baptist friends there jumping all over him, kind of like the WWE Tournament of the East there. And all of a sudden the Lord is really, really upset with his friends, but not Job. Do you realize when Job was finally healed? Do you realize when Job's situation in life finally turned around? Can I get you to look at it? Job chapter 42 verse 6. This really is a theological mind blower if you've never seen it. We often think that just, well, you know, Job's troubles finally came to an end and then no, the Lord just kind of laid it back on Job. But that's not what the scriptures declare. I want you to see in Job chapter 42 and verse 6. I'm sorry, 42 verse 10. The Bible says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. You see that? You know when the Lord let off of Job? When he began to pray for those who had despitefully entreated him, had despitefully used him, were critical against him, had slandered him and hurt him. When Job began to pray for his friends, the Lord says, okay, I'll turn this thing around then. Are you seeing what I'm seeing or am I the only one mesmerized by the fact that Job had to pray for those that were against him before the Lord turned that thing off? 
It tells me that as a Christian, I'm not very merciful. And when people hurt, and if I think they deserve it, probably not going to intercede on their behalf. But we see the meekness of Moses, the faithfulness of Moses. Now notice the mercy that Moses shows. You know about Stephen, the first New Testament martyr. While he is being stoned to death with stones, he prays in Acts 7.60, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And by praying that, the entire nation of Israel was forgiven and given another chance to receive the kingdom. And of course, you know, Jesus Christ, as he's being crucified, he says what? Father, for they know not what they do. You see the mercy? You know what Jesus Christ is doing right now in Romans chapter 8, I believe it's around verse 34. says he is in, I better read it. I better read it. It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. You know who put him on the cross? You did. You know who caused him pain and suffering? You did. You know the reason he had to die? You. And you know what he's doing right now? He's seated at the right hand of God, and he's praying for us. You see the meekness? You see the faithfulness? You see the mercy? It's hard to stomach that this morning. As we close this morning, I want to ask you this question. Which one speaks to you the most? The meekness of Moses, the faithfulness of Moses, or the merciful intercession of Moses? In all three ways, Moses shows us a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe this morning as someone comes to the piano or the organ, however they're going to do it, I believe the thing that we must take away from this, the reason that Moses was able to do what he did and the manner in which he did it is because he spent sufficient time with the Lord. You're not going to go out of here and not spend any time with the Lord all week long and not continue to keep a spirit of meekness. You're not going to be able to go through this week and not spend any time with the Lord in fellowship, not crack your Bible and not pray and not have communion with Him and continue to be faithful to what God wants you to do. And by all means, if you don't spend the right amount of time with the Lord, you will not be merciful and have the desire to intercede on the behalf of someone that has hurt you. As we close this morning, would you consider these things?